Hello, Talent Talks listeners. I'm your usual host, Alan Caesar. This month's episode was recorded here at Wicked Studio by Mark Bernier while I was away. Mark is the host of The Mark Bernier Show, which broadcasts on WNDB Radio every weekday. He filled in for me here at Wicked when Michelle Lucas was visiting campus. Uh, unfortunately, the audio quality of this episode is not up to our usual standard, but it's still a great conversation to listen to. I'll be back next month with another great Embry-Riddle graduate. Until then, here's Mark and Michelle. This is the Talent Talks podcast from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I'm Mark Bernier, filling in for Alan Caesar, who is away this week. Michelle Lucas is the founding president of Higher Orbitus and a, a vice president of industry relations at Unify Space Agency. She joins us for this discussion this week. And Michelle, you're being honored here at Embry-Riddle after being a graduate. Before the, that, you went to Purdue. So you've had a long association with education. Yes, uh, thank you so much for having me. I feel very fortunate to be back here at my alma mater, and it's kind of astounding how much things have changed here since I graduated. But uh, yeah, have had a long path. That is not exactly what I planned, but it's turned out more amazing than I ever could have expected. You got a BS in communications from here? Yes. Okay, what did you do at Purdue before you aerospace came Aerospace engineering, and I did aerospace engineering here for a while as well. And. Uh, I'm not so good behind a computer doing research. I'm a lot better communicator. So having the technical background of the aerospace engineering as my core and then the degree in communications has made all the world of difference for me. How did higher orbits come about? So as a little girl, I fell in love with space and it was all I ever wanted to do was work in the space industry. And I wanted to go to space camp and we couldn't afford it. And I applied for a scholarship, got it, and it changed my life. Now, fast forward many, many, many years later, and I was working as a professional at Johnson Space Center, and I wanted to give back. And I started doing some consulting and educational outreach with another organization. And then I thought, hold on, why am I giving all my ideas away to somebody else? Why can't I take this and make this my own? And so I created Higher Orbits, which is a 501c3 nonprofit, as a way to give back to students. We use space to inspire them in STEM. I watched your... TEDx uh, talk and uh, learning from failure. I think 1986 is the time. You're a young girl at that time. I think yep. I can say that. And and you watched that incident, that terrible day. And you have encouraged kids to continue to pursue events and dreams even after defeat. Absolutely. I think that's one of the most important things we can teach students of all ages that it is okay to fail. You only truly fail if you don't learn from that failure. And as a very young girl, I watched the Challenger disaster unfold. And my mother was very worried that I would give up on my passion for space watching such a horrific thing happen. I mean, truly a failure with the worst possible costs. And so she had really frank conversations with me about what that meant and how sometimes you're gonna fail and sometimes the consequences are gonna be high, but you pick yourself up and you learn from that. And so that's one of the things I try and share with students is it's okay to fail. You, if you're getting outside of your comfort zone, you're learning. Yeah, and for the, ba the vast audience that's listening to this, it's applicable to being a parent or grandparent as well. Absolutely. There's not a walk of life that it's not okay to fail in as long as you learn from it, in my opinion. You have some pretty strong feelings about NASA. We know this. <laughs> and when things were changing, what were you thinking about NASA? and its future. You know, it's very fascinating to watch how NASA has evolved over the last uh, 
58 years from, from the first time we flew an American into space, May 5th, 1961, with Alan Shepard. We've had the really robust times, like the 60s with the moon landing. We've had the, uh, the lean times. And now we're at a very crucial intersection where there's a commercial governmental partnership and the things that are happening in space are happening at an incredibly rapid rate. And so I feel fortunate to have seen a lot of changes in the time that I've been around, but I am sad that I never got to see a Saturn V launch. Okay. Is that time right for women in large numbers to take their place in the space program? Um, I'm the oddity. I'm the woman who doesn't want to talk about the fact that I'm a woman. If you see me, it's pretty clear I'm a woman, and so I don't I don't think I have to shout from the rooftops I'm a woman in STEM. Well, it's been the old boy network, that's why I asked. Well, it has been, but I will tell you that I started working at Johnson Space Center in 2000, and I never felt like I was not treated as an equal because I was a woman. I had many, many female colleagues. In fact, the last group I worked with, the Daily Operations Group and Mission Operations, we had as many women as we did men. And so perhaps we were a microcosm, but I think that, especially for students today, the same opportunities exist for women as do men. And I think that we're stronger when we all work together instead of trying to worry about, you know, is it a guy or is it a girl? You know, the, it's a little bit different in the, from the conversation we had with uh, Dr. Stofan from the National Air and Space Museum. Uh, she is a pioneer in everything she's done as a scientist. Absolutely. And let's be clear, I am so grateful to the women who came before me and paved the way. In the space industry, we say we stand on the shoulders of giants, and I believe that that extends for me to the women who paved the way before me. But I feel fortunate that in my career, some of my biggest champions have been men and women. And so I think, I think times have changed a lot, and we've come around to to a much more even playing field. And while the numbers of people who've been into space as far as women versus men is a very disparating, uh, the number is of large disparity, we also have to remember that from 1961 until the early 80s, you only flew into space if you were a male, generally fighter pilot. And so you gotta make up for that somewhere. And the Russians have still only flown, I think, two women. As you get the Eagle Entrepreneur Award, what are the things you need to bear in mind to be a successful entrepreneur? What do you need to have? <laughs> Failure is an option and it will happen <laughs> probably more times than you realize. Look, I never set out to be an entrepreneur. It's interesting to me that teenagers today, some of them all ask, what do you want to do? And they say, I want to be an entrepreneur. And when I was a teenager, or even in my early 20s, that term meant nothing to me. I didn't know what it meant. I came about it by happenstance, but it's been quite the life lesson of the word no, you're going to hear a lot more than you ever wanted to hear in your life. And you're going to run into roadblocks. And when you're creating something new, whether it's a product or an organization or an idea, that's how you grow is those no's and those things that don't work. And so being persistent and understanding that everything that doesn't work teaches you something that helps get you closer to how it does work embrace those yeah i'm not going to say that there aren't some days where i'm like please give me a cupcake and maybe a box of kleenex because i'm frustrated but the reality is those are the ways that we grow the most as entrepreneurs you're a major proponent of stem absolutely and we hear a lot about stem all the time what do young people need to know that 
entrepreneurs and business leaders are looking for in STEM? I think the thing that's most important for young people to know is that what they may think is stereotypical STEM, there's so much more than that. People think STEM and they think, okay, I'm just a mathematician or I'm an engineer. The jobs that exist are by the thousands in the STEM STEM worlds. And to be quite honest, the students who are starting as freshmen today, the job that they do five years from now might not even exist right now. By studying STEM, you keep all your doors open because you have a technical background and a technical capability that every company wants, no matter what their background is. You're a fifth generation Chicago Cubs fan, <laughs> long yes. suffering until they finally won. <laughs> Yes, my nails are cubby blue today, by the way. Yes, I noticed. Very good. Did you, when the Cubs were here in Daytona, did you go to any of those? Oh, yes. Yes. Really? I remember watching Kerry Wood rehab when he, and I was in love with Kerry Wood and his 20 game strikeout, 20 strikeout game. And yeah, my grandfather, who passed last year, and I was grateful that he got to see the Cubs win the World Series before he passed. He was almost 95. When I moved to Houston to work for NASA, he looked at me and said something. Honey, I'm so proud of you. You're following your dreams, but promise me one thing. I'm like, okay, Grandpa. And I'm expecting, we come from a big family in Chicago. I'm expecting it's call, come home at Christmas, right? I'm like, okay, Grandpa, what? Honey, you promised me you will not become an Astros fan. You are a fifth generation Cubs fan, and wow. I don't know if I can let you back in here if you become an Astros fan. I'm like, Grandpa, don't worry. I bleed cubby blue. And so, yes, absolutely thrilled to see my boys in blue win the World Series a couple years ago. was fortunate enough to get to go to win the games even. Well, being a transported Red Sox fan, I didn't exactly go to the Marlins or the Braves either. So, know what <laughs> well, you're saying. Well, thank you for Theo and John Lester, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate sure. that. We should, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But we had to heal from that as well. <laughs> you saw a lot of that has gone on. The very building we're doing this interview is a magnificent testimony to the students who had a dream to have a new center. What are the things that have hit you the most since you came back and looked around? So it's interesting for me. I did not come back for a while, but over the last three or four years, I've been back at least you know six, eight times as part of the industry advisory board for the College of Arts and Sciences. And every time I come back, I see something new. And this campus looks unlike anything it looked like when I was here. I mean, Spruance Hall is gone. Uh, this student facility is, this student center is absolutely spectacular. The alphabet soup buildings are gone. And so it's really awesome to see this university evolve with its students and grow and become a place that in and of itself is inspirational. Do you, I'm going to come back to uh, the space travel and commercial space and all that's going on now. Did you envision when you were in school that one day we would have all of these different companies in the private sector from Blue Origin to, to the, the big one down there? And, and did you think that we would be moving to the private sector? So I think as a kid, I had the dreams of you watch the science fiction and Ender's Game is one of my absolute favorite books and these kids go into space. And I, I guess there was the dream and the, the thought of wouldn't that be amazing, but I didn't actually think it would necessarily be reality that it would be commercial companies. I always thought it would truly be the government only in space travel. And that paradigm has shifted. 
Now it shifted in part because of costs, because the government has to do the exploration things and we are able to shift some of the low earth orbit stuff to commercial because there's money to be made there. And I think it's fascinating. As of today, if I'm not mistaken, 573 people, depending on your definition, whether it's the FAA or, or whatnot definition, have been into space. And I think 10 years from now, that number will have doubled, if not tripled. And that's pretty magnificent because it's taken us since 1961 to fly 573 people in space. I want to come back to the uh, entrepreneurship part of your work. Do you believe that you have to have multiple ideas? Because as you said, you're going to fail and you're going to fail a lot, but have multiple visions for things you want to work on so that you can go to the next one right away because you've got to get money and you've got to get backing to make it happen. You know, I think that's very person dependent. I think some people are fantastic minds that come up with dozens of ideas. I mean, I have friends who are what I call serial entrepreneurs and they start companies and sell companies and it's a totally different idea than their last company and I, I soak it all in. I'm like, please teach me, teach me. Whereas I'm not that idea person. I don't have as many varied ideas. So for me, it became about honing the ideas I had and doing iterations of that. And so I think there's a place in entrepreneurship for both. It just kind of depends on, are you a, a one idea that you're willing to stick with and, and keep going? Or are you someone who wants a project for a year or two and you know is ready to move on to the next? When you were growing up, did you have an industry hero or was there a person who was a hero in your life? So, Personally, my mother, and I know that sounds so cliche, but my mom was this hard-working wor woman who went to work every day, taught me great work ethic, taught me a desire for learning. And so she shaped so much of who I became. My industry hero is an unusual one. Most people think I'm going to say Sally Ride or someone like that. It was actually Deke Slayton. So Deke Slayton was one of the original Mercury 7 astronauts, but he's the only one who didn't fly during the Mercury program because he had a heart issue that they found. And Deke was not going to give up. Deke kept trying to get better and figure out how to go into space, and he did finally fly as part of the Apollo Soyuz. And so his persistence and perseverance really spoke to me as somebody who knew I was probably going to have to climb a couple of hurdles to get to do what I wanted to do. What do you do in this job of industry relations at Unify? So I have a business partner who is amazing and has done music talent management for 30 years. And she said to me one day, who's managing the astronauts? And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, and she's like, well, speaking, books, movies. So I don't know. So well, why aren't we? I said, I don't know. Why aren't we? I had worked with you know hundreds of astronauts in my time at NASA, and a lot of them were friends. And so we formed Unify Space Agency as a way to represent astronauts' uh, best interests for all those kinds of things that happen in the talent realm, but also to bring awareness to, we think these folks, actually I should say that differently, we know these folks are national heroes, and we like to see them celebrated. And so as such, we started National Astronaut Day every year on May 5th with the idea of not just celebrating these heroes, but celebrating the inspiration that these heroes bring to young students. I mean, come on, did you ever at one point in your life want to be an astronaut? Yes. 
Okay, so Everybody it's one of those things. Absolutely, they're they're awesome, and so for us, it's really important to make sure that message is back out there in a world where I kind of call it the Kardashian world. You know, Michelle, this brings up an issue that I don't know how often it's discussed in media, but I'm wondering if you could shed some light into it. When the bands stop playing and the parades are over and the flights are done, are astronauts, do you think, professionally and emotionally ready to become Earthlings again, regular people? You know, that's such a fascinating question. And I think it is as varied as are the people in the astronaut office. And they're as varied as the students here in this union. Everybody is different. There are some who, when they have their flight, they're thought is, oh, that was amazing. I wanted to fly in space. I got to do that. What's next? And they go on to do something either still in the aerospace industry or some of them go on to completely different careers. And then there are some who, there's one astronaut in particular I know who calls himself a, a spaceman. He, if, if push came to shove and he had to pick live on Earth or live in space, he's like, oh yeah, I want to live in space. I, I don't oh. want to be an Earthling. Who is that? I, it is Don Pettit. It is Don Pettit. It is and Don, it is Pettit. Don Pettit. And Don, and, and I'm not speaking out of turn, I know Don would, would share that. He loves being in space. Whereas a lot of astronauts say they love their time in space, but they consider themselves Earthlings. They miss the wind on their face. They miss the, the warm shower and the slice of pizza and their, their families. And so it's, uh, it's very fascinating to hear different people tell their re-entry, if you will, stories into, uh, from, you know, from being an astronaut, going back into the real world, if you will. Okay. Alan has something he does called a lightning round. Uh-oh. Let's go. Five quick questions. Are you okay. ready for this? I, I am all right. Great. I'm good. Let's go. Uh, you can fly any plane ever made from anywhere to anywhere. What do you choose? The space shuttle. Okay. No, I mean, hands down. I mean, it's, it's an airplane at the end of the day in some ways. Okay. If you could read only one book for the rest of your life, what would it be? The Right Stuff. Good answer. Good answer. Not the Wright Brothers, but the no, Right the Stuff. No, the Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe. Did you ever read the Wright, the Wright Brothers book by David McCullough? I did. Another good book. He was here. Guy was fabulous. <sighs> yeah. I'll have to check out that podcast. What's your favorite cartoon character of all time? Oh, that one I didn't expect. My favorite cartoon character of all time. Stitch. And it should have been George Jetson. It, it could, or, or, or Astro. But Stitch was, he's an alien. Stitch is an alien. And my mom jokes that she sometimes thinks I'm an alien because I couldn't possibly be her child. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this must have been Alan knowing something because he says, picture your ideal grilled cheese sandwich. What's in it? Oh, my gosh. Do you like grilled cheese I sandwiches? I love grilled cheese sandwiches. It, it has as many different forms of cheese as is humanly possible to put between the two slices of bread. I want some cheddar. I want some manchego. I want some Swiss. And I wanted a really good, crispy, buttered, you know, edges. Okay. If you could live for a week as any person in history, who would it be? See, we don't give the answers in oh. advance. Yeah, these are, wow, you guys ask tough questions. And maybe this is because of the time it is right now. Neil Armstrong. Yeah. To be able to carry the hopes and dreams of not just NASA, not just America, but the entire planet to a different celestial body and be the first person to set foot there. I, I get the goosebumps just thinking about it. I always wonder what would have happened if somebody else jumped out first, what he would have said. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Grab him by the scruff of the neck. No, 
it's mine. <laughs> Congratulations on receiving the Eagle Entrepreneur Award at the Alumni Awards Ceremony. Thank you. And uh, you're a fascinating guest. We're so glad you came to visit with us. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, certainly, I look forward to checking out all the other podcasts that it sounds like you have done with fascinating people. Michelle Lucas, our guest. The Talent Talks podcast is a production of WIKD Radio and the Embry-Riddle Office of Alumni Engagement. We're coming to you from the Maury Hussini Student Union at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in sunny Daytona Beach, Florida. Thanks for downloading us. We'll see you next time when Alan comes back. <laughs>